lost a loved one who was a Christian, it is a common thing to hear people say, but it may sound trite, but it is comforting when you spend the time to think about it, is that they're in a better place. Uh, That may not take away the immediate grief or sorrow of their loss, but when you think about it, it would be hard to not be able to say those words, wouldn't it? I mean, and I've had to do that before. I've had to preach funerals of people that I knew that were not believers. I I really couldn't offer them hope that that person was in heaven. Um, We say it all the time to people, especially little children, if their grandparents die, grandpa or grandma is in heaven. And that's a great reality and a great comfort. I, I remember coming up two years in October when my dad passed away, my wife and I, uh, my, my, all my sisters were there, and we took shifts just staying in his room the last few nights that he was alive. And as the Lord would have it, I would, my wife and I were on this cot in his room at the foot of his bed the last night that he was here on this earth. And uh, obviously in situations like that, I'm sure you were the same way if you had that circumstance. But it's hard to sleep to know as you're thinking about maybe, and it was for us, the last time that we'd ever be with them in this world. Um, but to know that when my dad breathed his last breath and we were there in the morning, my sisters all arrived, and within five minutes, my dad passed away. And I watched him take his last breath, and I, I've seen that a few times in my life as a pastor. And it, it's amazing the encouragement that it is to know that when loved ones die who know Christ, that they're going to go to heaven. Um, but... We need to clear up something right off the bat, Um, and that is that heaven is where people go now, but it's not really meant and should not be used as a catch-all term, meaning heaven's where everybody goes and will always go and will always be, because heaven is kind of a temporary place where people go right now when they die. The permanent place where all believers and Christians who put their faith in Christ uh, will be is the new heaven and the new earth. That's ultimately where the eternal realm is. That's the permanent place that we're going to be with God forever. But when someone does die now at this point, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so um, heaven is more or less a transitional place. It's an immediate, intermediate state uh, between our life on earth and our life on the new earth. And if you keep it in your mind that way, when God talks about heaven... That's not our permanent place. It's kind of the in-between place between this life on earth and the life that he has for us for eternity in the new earth. You know, the the old spiritual says, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And unfortunately, that's true. But the reverse is also a fact, and that everybody going there uh, ain't always talking about it. And I I think we ought to. I really think that we ought to talk uh, about heaven far more. Uh, I was able to this week in my study read almost every verse in the Bible that talked about heaven. And by the way, there are 550 scriptures that mention heaven. 550, that is a lot. And God wants us to realize, even though he hasn't told us every detail about heaven, and some of the things we'd like to have our questions answered about, uh, it is a very important topic. Jesus talked about it perhaps more than anybody. And so it's an important one, and it's a motivating factor in our lives on how we live here on earth. And we're going to touch on that a little bit more. So heaven is a, a waiting place in some ways, uh, waiting for uh, what the permanent abode of God's people will be on the new heaven. And, and, and it's certainly a wonderful place. And when Paul 
had to contemplate and consider the tension between staying here and ministering to Philippians and other Christians on this earth or being with Christ in heaven. His words are, to be with Christ is far better. Far better. So no matter how great you might have it here on earth, no matter how wonderful things might be and the wonderful beauties of creation that you've seen, it can't touch. It can't touch how great heaven really is. So we are destined for far better in our lives. So what do we know about, and this is my term, what this present heaven, what, what do we know about it? There's a number of things, and there's seven of them. I'm not sure I'm going to get to all of them tonight. Um, but the Bible says, and, and someone asked in one of the questions, where is it located? Is it really a geographically um, point? Well, you're not going to find it on a map. You're not going to be able to put it in your GPS in that sense. But the Bible says that Paul was taken up into the third heaven, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2. There seems to be three heavens as God places it. And by the way, if you look back and read the Old Testament, especially the book of Exodus, very carefully, you'll find that the three levels are what creation is based on and what the tabernacle and the temple were based on. And I would tell you because that's what heaven is based on. And we're going to see it in a little bit that the tabernacle and the temple were based on the pattern that Moses saw on top of Mount Sinai when he was able to be in glory with God. And he said, the pattern I showed you on the mountain, that's what you're going to gauge everything on. And that was gauged after the way God made all of creation. And that's how heaven, I believe, is as well. There are three heavens. One is terrestrial. And that's the earth, the sky, our planet, Everything that we have in our atmosphere here, the atmospheric heavens, that's the first heaven, and the Bible refers to that numerous times. Uh, The second heaven is telestial, not terrestrial. That's the first one. Telestial means up in the, the heavens where the stars, the moon, the sun, the planets, the galaxies, all of that. That's another level of heaven beyond ours. So first heaven here, second heaven there. Third heaven is a place that we can't know geographically, but it's the place where God has his dwelling, where he lives. And that seems to be what's called celestial. So there's terrestrial, telestial, and celestial. That's kind of a mouthful. But those are the three stages of heaven, so to speak, as the Bible presents it. What is in heaven? Well, um, really so many things. I'll never be able to mention them all. But God is in heaven. His throne is in heaven. Peter in 1 Peter says our inheritance is in heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. Um, Our treasures, Jesus said, meaning financially, should be hidden there. Uh, We should keep our treasures there because moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal. Our our name is actually written in heaven. And he said, you know, you can be happy about a lot of things, but be rejoiced in this. He told the disciples that your name is written in heaven. Thank God that that's true for us who know him. Our reward is in heaven. The crowns that we will lay at his feet, they're in heaven. The angels are in heaven. Those of our family that went there ahead of us, there, they are there. The saints of old are in heaven. Um, really, everything that a Christian should value and love and cherish is in heaven. And that's why we are told to loosely hold things here on earth and not put all of our stock in it because the truth is, our identities are strangers and, and pilgrims and exiles here. So firstly, if we could go through them one at a time, this present heaven is a real place. It is a real place. And, and actually, uh, there have been a few people in biblical history that have been able to look. Normally, you can't see heaven. It's an invisible realm. It's not observable with our 
physical eyes alone. It takes more than that. And there are some people that were allowed to see it. Uh, one of them is a passage, if you want to turn there, 1 Kings chapter 6. I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 6. And Elisha and his servant are in the house. They are surrounded by the Syrian army. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, verse 15 of chapter 6, behold, armies with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you could only see physically, that would seem like a ridiculous statement. But Elisha, through the power of God, had ability to see more than just with his physical eyes. It says, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please, now watch, open his eyes that he may see. So it's not just something that he dreamed. He wasn't having a vision. It just didn't appear to him. He actually had his eyes open so he could see real objects, real things, real things going on. And here's what he saw. So the Lord opened his eyes. See how he uses that phrase twice? Because this is something he was really visually seeing, things that were real right in front of his eyes that he had never seen before. And it says, Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He was able to see the angelic army and their chariots that were far greater than the physical Syrian army and their chariots around him. And let me tell you this, when you see the invisible realm, it is terrifying, but it's also a great comfort if you know that God is with you and you are with him. It changes everything. And and that's what uh, paying attention and putting our focus sometimes on things about heaven, it helps us to be able to see everything on earth in a different kind of reality. Another one, if you'll just flip real quickly, and we'll be turning to a couple passages, Acts chapter 7. Actually, the message I'm working on, Lord willing, for next week is on the life of Stephen. And at his death, in Acts 7.54, it reads, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, in contrast, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. He was able to look into heaven. And he saw, not, not, it just didn't appear to seem like it was. No, he actually, it says he saw it. This is what he saw, physical things, real things. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, and he repeats, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he saw God on the throne. He saw as much as you can without losing your life, God's glory. And he saw Jesus, who is God's glory, standing at his right hand. He was able to have a glimpse into heaven. Those were real things that he saw. Heaven is a real place. And we've already mentioned that 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said that he went there. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2. And he saw things that could not be uttered, that he really wasn't allowed to or wasn't permissible for him to say. It was beyond what we could comprehend. That's how awesome this real place called heaven is. Wayne Grudem, in his theology, uh, writes on this passage. He says, Stephen did not see mere symbols of a state of existence. Rather, it was that his eyes were opened to see a spiritual dimension of reality in which God was hidden from this present age, a dimension which really does exist in our space-time universe. God Heaven is a real place. 
in, in our universe, according to the scriptures, and uh, Wayne Grudem would concur. So I, I don't believe God gave Stephen a vision in order to make him things in heaven appear physical. I think they appeared in heaven because they really were physical. They are things. That's why it says, open his eyes so he could see. In both of those stories of Elisha and Stephen, they actually saw things in heaven, real things, uh, with their own eyes. So number one, and not that you doubted this, but heaven is a real place. Number two, uh, this present heaven is a physical place, and they are kind of overlapping, but let me make a little bit of a distinction. The present heaven has physical properties. Um, Now, in Revelation, it says that in these passages um, that there are scrolls in heaven that are opened, elders who have real faces, martyrs who wear clothes and robes of white, people with real palm branches in their actual hands. There are musical instruments that are being played, uh, maybe symbolically in some of these things, but horses and eagles and, and and, and creatures around the throne of God, real things. Now, a lot of people would say, and I understand it because it's true to some degree, that in, in Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature, that a lot of these things are symbols or they're figures of speech, and there might be some reality to it. But you certainly can't say that of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is not an apocalyptic book. It's an epistolary book. And in it, that verse I alluded to a little earlier, I'd like you to take a look at it with me. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. Let me start a little earlier in verse 1. Now the point, Hebrews 8, 1, and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty in in heaven, see. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. The true tent, not the tabernacle here on earth, but the one in heaven. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. In other words, the originals were not the earthly ones. The originals are the heavenly ones. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, meaning the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, and you can look at it because this phrase is mentioned in Exodus 25, 20, and and, and the pattern phrase is also Exodus 26, 30, Exodus 27, 8, and also mentioned in Stephen's rendition of Israel's history in Acts 7, 44. But here's what it says. See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So when he was up on the mountain and God's glory came down and he was able to see things, this is what the pattern, the original was in heaven. And obviously, if the original, if the things that were made and patterned with the original were physical things, the priesthood and all the things they did and the tabernacle itself and everything was done inside, it would probably be logical in my estimation that the original was also physical. So in heaven, it's not just disembodied spirits. It's not a bunch of invisible realities. It is real physical things, things that are going on there that have been symbols of the shadows of things that are here on earth. If what Moses built according to the pattern was physical, I think that the physical originals, the originals in heaven were also 
uh, most likely to be physical. So we might look at it this way. Heaven is the source realm and earth is the derivative realm. In other words, everything that we have here on earth is patterned by what is in heaven. And in particular, the tabernacle and temple and the worship places in Israel's uh, religious world. Um, also in heaven, which is, has physical properties, um, Jesus has a physical body and will have a physical body for all eternity in heaven. Um, he, you can see Stephen saw him standing at the right hand of God. Angels, which in essence are spirits, but obviously can take on human form when necessary even to appear to human beings here on earth. We saw that numerous times throughout both Old and New Testament. And it's interesting when you think about creation, God did not create Adam as a spirit and then place a body over it. Rather, the opposite was true. God created Adam first, a body, and then he breathed a spirit into it. So unlike the rest of it, human beings are, in essence, we are both physical and spiritual. It seems like the, uh, the Trinity and angels um, are, in essence, spirits. But humans are different in the fact that our essence is both physical and spiritual. And truthfully, there was never a moment that a human being has ever existed without a body. We are essentially both physical and spiritual. And I wrote in my notes, to be fully human is to be both, both physical and spiritual. That's why, let me jump into the next point I'm leading on here. And that's why what happens when you die? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I thought about that the night in which my dad died. And he opened his eyes in glory, what would it have been like? Did he have eyes to open <laughs> when he opened them in glory? I would say yes. Now, I, I can't be absolutely definitive. Good theologians take other sides in this issue. But it seems to me from the clues that are given to us in Scripture that when you die, you don't get your final resurrection body. Um, that will be given at the final resurrection when we are given our final glorified body. It seems to me, and I'll give you some reasons behind it biblically, that in between we have what I call a between body or an intermediate body that will be temporary for us, that when we die and go to heaven, we are given or clothed with a body to suit heaven, but will be even different when we have our glorious body at the end of things. And and I take this from um, literal passage, I would consider literal passages, one being Lazarus when he was Uh, The rich man asked that Abraham would send Lazarus and he would actually dip his finger in water. Now, I would take the torments of hell to be literal. And I would also take Lazarus' finger to be literal and the water that he wanted to be literal. And and so I I would think that in the afterlife, immediately um, Abraham's bosom at that point, that the the parts, you had actual body. and, And actually to go to die, if you die without Christ right now, you wake up in hell, and, and I would believe that a disembodied person is not what you will become. You will be, have a, tempor- a temporary body there as well, um, because you will also feel the punishment in hell. Because hell is not the final place. It is also temporary, because the final place of all those who are unregenerate and have rejected Christ is a real place, like heaven, a real place called the lake of fire. And uh, so we'll have, I think, people who die whether you're in the Lord or not in the Lord, get a temporary body. And I think that's why there are physical things in heaven because we will have actually uh, some level a physical body and won't receive the other one, the final one, the perfect one, until we are resurrected at the end of history. 
Uh, This present heaven, thirdly, is to be with Christ and those who love him. No matter how you look at it, no matter how much you describe, in my opinion, the great, wonderful uh, things that are in heaven and how it looks, um, whether it's the streets of gold, the gates of pearl, the angels, the, the worship, all that goes on there is phenomenal and far beyond anything that we could ever possibly dream or imagine um, I'd also say this, that what makes heaven heaven is because God is there. Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are there. And Jesus, amazingly on the cross, said to the thief, Today you will be with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. There is no purgatory. There is no waiting. There is no holding tank. He said, Today, the day you, the moment you die, he said, You'll be with me with me in paradise. And those two phrases are key because paradise throughout scripture is used to talk about the Garden of Eden. It talks about heaven in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. And uh, so whatever paradise means, it's obviously a glorious place way beyond anything even that we have here. But the key about what paradise is, what the greatness of it is, is he'll say, you'll be with me. That's the key, that you'll be with me. And and, and that's got to be what I think should excite us the most. I mean, Fanny Crosby, if you know anything about her, 4,800 hymns in her lifetime. She was blind virtually from birth and wrote so many hymns that we love and cherish and sing in our hymn books and have through my whole life and way beyond. Uh, She lived in the 1800s and died in 1915. Um, But she wrote a song, My See my Savior first of all. And, and she, that's what she wanted more than anything else. And you know what? And I think that's what makes heaven heaven. And that's what makes people who go to hell, they would never want to be there. You know why? Because they haven't wanted to be with Jesus, and they would certainly not want to do that for eternity. But um, we leave uh, this world, and we are with Jesus in heaven. And 1 Thessalonians 4, the wonderful rapture passage says, And here's the great thing about it. He says, and he will take them up to heaven. The rapture will take us to heaven. And says, and so shall they forever be with the Lord. That is awesome. And and I thought of this message today. I thought of uh, Chris Carpenter's mom. And perhaps she won't make it. And and we're thinking about Sandy Steele and continuing to pray for her. And, you know, in the last number of years, I mean, even more recent months, even this year, I mean, uh, losing Ben Backus, who's been such a part of our church, and Tony and Lucy DeQuinzio, and, you know, loved ones in our church families and members who have had loss of their loved ones, and just people who will start stalwarts of the faith here at Faith Baptist Church for so many years. Wouldn't it be great to see them? Wouldn't it be great to see them and walk into heaven, have a meet the welcome committee? I think Ben Backus is probably going to be it, and Tony will be probably leading some of the services. I hope to attend one that he's leading. It'll be a great day. But you know what? Far beyond that is that we'll be with the Lord forever. I, if you, now, if you remember Faith Baptist Church and you go way back, you'll remember this because years ago in some of our uh, musical dramas, we used to sing a song in church called, the choir did anyways, I bow on my knees and cried holy. You remember that song? I mean, it was a long song, but it was like climactic and it was an emotional song. It was, it was about going to heaven and, and walking around and seeing all your loved ones and then starting to see the Bible characters. It kind of reminded me that song did this week. Some of the questions came from that song. I was thinking about it. And then, and then at the end, the climax is, but, you know, after I've seen Paul and Timothy, you know, you know what? The, the climax is, but I told Timothy, I want to see Jesus. And, and that's heaven, isn't it? It's to be with him and to be with him forever. 
um, seeing your grandparents, my parents, my aunt, uncle who died, uh, my co- cousin Felicia who died of diabetes when she was only 51, um, Chris's dad who's been there for almost two decades. Um, I think of people who have had miscarriages and had their child die very early in life, and it's a wonderful thing. D.L. Moody really, really said it well um, before he died. He says, one day you'll read in the new p- newspapers that D.L. Moody is dead. He said, don't believe it. He said, I'll be more alive then than I've ever been. And, and that's, that's the reality of heaven. I mean, that's, that's what we have to look forward to, being alive in ways that we've never, ever been. A fourth, this present heaven is one that is a conscience. We'll be, we'll be awake and alive in it. Um, the rich man in Lazarus, he woke up in torment. It, it was conscious. He could feel it. I mean, to the point where imagining the torment was so great that a drip of water off someone's finger would be enough to suffice for the moment. I mean, that's incredible. The thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul said, Philippians 1:21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To know that heaven is our home makes death a gain. So what will, what will happen? We'll be alive in heaven. We'll be able to talk, have conversations. I believe we'll learn and have the capacity to learn without the hindrance of sin. It seems like that in some ways they'll be aware of the passing of time in heaven, although it's obviously not time like we know here. The martyrs that were under the throne Ask the Lord, how long, O Lord? How long until you avenge our, our death? And he says, a little while longer. So, so it seems like in some way, unless that's just communicating anthropomorphism, which is trying to say things in our ways that we would grasp them, but seemingly there is some passing of time and, and noted somewhere in some way in heaven. Better by far, there are contrasts in heaven of how great it is compared to here on earth. And so obviously heaven is a place where we're alive and, we're, and we'll have senses and be able, to, be able to sense more and understand more than possibly ever before. Uh, last three, I'm just going to quickly go through them. Who is in heaven right now? Well, all believers, God is, angels are, and everything that we hold dear. And let me tell you this, and let me motivate you a little bit differently, because that reality is true. Because God is there, Jesus is there, the angels, our loved ones, our friends and people in the Bible and all those that we will know, everything that we hold dear is there, it ought to motivate us. If you would, last few minutes, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Can I tell you how Paul saw heaven and his future and the changes that would be in his life and how he looked at it? and what it made him, motivated him. He says, 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, in other words, I die, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. We, we have problems. And listen, you know, I've been trying to lose some weight, and my wife and I are walking and even actually trying to run a little bit, and I'm telling you, and I'm only 56, and I'm not nearly as old as Pastor Crompton, but I can tell you, you know, I can feel it in my knees, I can feel it places, and I, I, amazing how slow I run and how short the distance is and how much, it, you know, I'm winded by it, and we groan, <laughs> we groan in this tabernacle, he says. 
Longing, see that? Oh, there's emotions there. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Haven't you ever thought about, doesn't it just make you want to go to heaven sometimes when, when things are bad and, and people you love die and things are such a struggle and, and people, and I don't even have, I don't have the experience of people in our church and otherwise who chronic pain and they never get to do certain things because they can't walk or they can't do this and they can't get up anymore, they can't get around and they have others who have to help them. I mean, don't you just long to have your glorified body put on? He says, just putting on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. In other words, I'm not just going to be a spirit, he says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, listen to this, being, it's a weight, it's a burden sometimes, he says. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal maybe swallowed up by life, oh, just to be immortal. And, and those wonderful verses in Revelation 21, I know that's the new heavens and earth, but it says, no sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, and the whole list of them, all those things, no more sin. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, an arabon. It's, it's uh, the, the wedding, it's the engagement ring. God says, listen, I have the Spirit of God living in you, changing your life now, because that is the expression, just a small way of telling you to have confidence in the amazing changes that I'm going to do someday when you put on your eternal body. Now listen, so so what? So what about that? Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. Listen to that. Always. See, wanting wanting to be in heaven, to have all this go away, to have this body, is not just an escapism mentality. It's a motivation. It allows me here to have, you can say, someone said, you're so heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. I've never met anyone who was like that. (laughs) I've never met anyone that heavenly minded. But I can tell you this, I think the Bible says to be so heavenly minded that you become earthly good. That's what I think the Bible teaches. That we are of good courage. We know, now notice, verse one started with we know. And verse 6, so the facts about it, and now the function of it, verse 7, we know that we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So while we have this tent on, we are not with the Lord. And while we do that, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, second time. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, it would be preferable to die and go be with Christ, because listen how many times he says it. It's home. See, I haven't said that tonight yet, and I, I saved it for the last. Heaven is a lot of things, but here it is for us. It is our home. I remember as a college student uh, going through all of your tests and exams, I couldn't wait to go home. And I'd walk in the door, and it'd be Thanksgiving, and my mom would be making cookies and the smell of it, and everybody being loud and going crazy and playing games and seeing my friends. I mean, really, truthfully, it's amazing how all the burdens and all the things at school just kind of so quickly melted away um, when you just go home. And Paul says, we're of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, so while I'm still here or when I am there, you know what? Here's one thing that doesn't change. And here's what it is. We make it our aim, our goal, our purpose to please him. See, what I want to do here is what I will want to do there. So what do you do when you get to heaven? Well, the Bible says we're going to worship. 
The Bible says we're going to reign with him. The Bible says that we will be, it's a Levitical priestly term, we will serve him. Serve him meaning in a liturgical type of way, priesthood type of way, not through sacrifices anymore, but in a different way. We will serve in his behalf and in his name, and we will have responsibilities. Um, We're faithful here with a little. God over there, I think, will give us a lot. And, And there's a lot of things that we'll be doing, especially when it comes to the new heaven and new earth. He says, but here's the aim behind all of it. The same aim here is the aim I'll have there. And you know what it is? To please him. Listen, so if you're going to heaven, how would, you, how would you know if heaven's affecting you or not? Because you would wake up every morning and say, here's the goal. Here's why I exist today. Until I get over there, here's what I want more than anything else. You know what it is? Not to succeed in my job. Not because there's anything wrong with that. Not to get the kudos or the accolades of anybody else because of my education or my sports or some business prowess that I might have. Not because those things are wrong. But whether I'm doing those things or any other thing, here's the aim in all of them. Behind what drives it all is to please him, to make him number one in my life. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Why? What is the motive? And see the little word in verse 10, four? For we must all appear before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. So that, what's the purpose of that? that we may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, what you did in this body. Because this body will determine, what you did in this body will determine whether you get the next one. Do you see how that connects? Whether good or evil, and the word evil means worthless. Worthless. So listen, heaven is not just a thing to imagine, oh, wouldn't it be great to sit down with Paul and talk today? Yes, and in the, in the streets of gold, and, you know, and all those, yes, one, the trees of life, and the water, and the new earth, and new heaven someday. But it, the, the idea is all those things should motivate us now. And I put down to live differently, to love differently, to lend differently. You know what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke? He says, give to people and do not expect anything in return. You know why? Because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, someday when you get your eternal body and you're in heaven, see, you'll be, let Jesus repay you. So open your heart with it, your hand, and give to people. Sacrifice. Use your money for eternal things. Why? Because when you're going to heaven, you would want to lend differently. You would want to labor differently. See, we can toil now, and we can forget about the things that people say, oh, you got to keep the balance. Well, that's true because you, you want to have your health. But listen, there are times that God wants us to be imbalanced and suffer and sacrifice and work hard. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I labored more abundantly than they all but by the grace of God that was in me. So let me tell you this. It ought to make us work. We ought to be able to be, say, God, I can get up for you early today. God, I can stay up really late for you. God, I, cannot ha- I don't have to watch TV today. You know what, God, I can do this today, and I can spend and be spent for the cause. Why? Because I'm going to heaven where there's going to be rest, eternal spiritual rest. So we're going to live differently, love differently, lend differently, labor differently, and we're going to look differently. You know what I mean by that? We're going to look at people differently. You can't read the stories about heaven and who will be there and who will not be there. Revelation 21, verse 8, has a list of all the people who will be outside the city. They will not make it into the heavenly kingdom. And you know what? We have them around us. Our neighbors, some people in our own families, friends that we hang around with, co-workers that we rub shoulders with. See, you're going to heaven, but are they? 
See, see, if you're going to heaven, it's not just a pie in the sky, and boy, I'm going to live forever. That's true. But it ought to make a difference how you look at people here because your desire is that they would be with you. Really, the only thing someone said, and it's trite, but it's true, the one thing that you can take with you from this life is someone else. And I pray to God that that would be true for the people and members of Faith Baptist Church, that we would be so heavenly-minded that we would be very, very much earthly good, good when it comes to reaching others with the gospel. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you tonight for the wonderful hope, the guaranteed confidence that is ours in heaven. Oh, we look forward to that. And Father, the truth is, we don't boast about tomorrow. We don't know what a day may bring forth. We don't know if this is our last day here. When we open our eyes and we go to bed tonight, we may open them in glory. Oh, as the songwriter said, oh, what a day that'll be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day. Glorious day that'll be. But until then, until then, may we labor and toil and serve and sacrifice for your great name. Be glorified in your servants. Through that we pray as we look forward to being with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.